It's been suggested that an overwhelming amount of customers don't do any kind of win or loss analysis. And this means they don't understand why they win business and more importantly, why they're losing business. Well, let's have ourselves a pocket-sized pep talk because I've got a guest here whose sales model, amongst other things, tells you why you're winning and losing business. A pocket-sized pep talk, the podcast that can help energize your business and your life with a quick, inspiring message. Now, here's your host, Rob Jollis. Today's guest, Kurt Greening, has over 25 years of experience leading sales teams and line of business operations. While leading teams at NetApp, the company grew from 800 million to over 6 billion, making it one of the five fastest growing companies with over 1 billion in annual sales. He's currently head of sales at Serbi, the company that helps companies secure applications that are unmanageable by their single sign-on providers. It's nice to meet you, Kurt. Welcome to the show. Rob, thanks for having me on. You bet. Well, it's a pleasure. So, uh, you know me, I like diving right in. And I know it's a big question, but let's tackle that learning from winning and losing piece. Um, are there common themes for both? I mean, g- g- give me give me a 30,000-foot look at that one. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you don't ask your customers why you won and why you lost, you really have no idea, right? I mean, I've talked to so many people who they bring in experts to come in and, and tell them how to market, how to sell best practices. And without that information, hiring a, a consultant really isn't going to be helpful for you. So so maybe you do hire a consultant and they do that work for you. But um, ultimately, if you, if you want happy customers that tell other customers about what you do, you really have to understand the the customers that are successful. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I, it's not foreign to me to hear why we're winning. The interesting part is having the courage to ask why we're losing. And because a lot of times we don't want to hear that. Um, so, uh, and in fact, um, at least for me, the way I've always gone about it, and, and I'd love to hear your views on this is, I always have to kind of get into what, when when I'm talking to a client after I've lost, to make sure that I've got something in there early that says, I'm not trying to, I, I, I respect your decision. I know where you're going. I just want to get better. What could I have done differently? But, um, and that's one of the phrases that I like to, to use, but maybe that's why people shy away from it. But is there, is there a way to ask for that without the customer thinking, are you still selling? I mean, in, in, in my opinion, you need to go into it with a, the assumption that, not all customers are good customers. And so um, losing a deal could actually be a wonderful thing because if you bring on the wrong customer and they're not a, a, a fit for you, they're not inside your ideal customer profile, they're not going to be a profitable customer. They're not going to be successful. And, um, you know, they're not somebody that you want to have, right? So I think it's important to go into it with the mentality of losing could be a good thing, right? But understanding why you lost, I think the goal would be to, to lose those deals early in the process because you really understand your ideal customer profile. You can build trust quickly with the customer. And, um, you know, one, one of the um, 
sales gurus that, that I follow, Ian Altman, right? He talks about same side, side selling, right? Get on the same side as your customer. And, you know, really understanding that, building trust quickly, but being honest that, that not all customers are, are a fit, right? And, and so I think if you go into that with, with the mentality that it isn't necessarily bad that you lost. Now, if you find out that you lost because your sales process stinks, you know, or your sales team is, is not very good. Well, that's a different story. Um, but, but losing deals can actually be a good thing, uh, assuming they were the wrong customer for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I hear you quite frankly, a lot of times I've, I've got a sense of the wrong customer fairly early in the conversation. It's just a matter of if I listen to that spidey sense of mine, cause it's almost always right, but we we're battling. I also want to make my quota. I want to make, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make club, uh, you know, there's a lot going on in a salesperson's mind. So it's not instinctive to listen to that voice that says, you knew this two sales calls ago. And uh, maybe the worst thing that will happen is we we actually get this person sold. Do you have a trial close that you like to use? I mean, let, let's process this a bit. So, okay, uh, first of all, we'll put the spidey sense for just a second. And uh, it's not that obvious. We're moving along. Matter of fact, I'm going to take this case study out to a sense of, I want this customer. And um, so how do I, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to take measurements. If this isn't going to happen, I don't want to waste a whole lot of resources and time. So um, typically we trial somewhere along the line. Do you have any trial closes that, that you like and, and maybe where they'd be placed? And, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll swap with you. I got a couple of my own here, but, but you're my guest. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear some of yours, Rob, but I, I mean, you know, closing should not be a big time event, right? right. You know, it's not a sign here on the line that is dotted, right? If you're a fan of, of some of the popular- Glenn Gary, uh, Glenn Ross, you, you, yeah, I'm with you, keep going. Right? <laughs> um, there should probably be, I don't know, uh, in a complex enterprise sales cycle, 15, maybe as much as 50 uh, closes in a sales process, right? And, 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 the, and the goal is- constantly reaffirming, you know, is the customer actually a, a fit, right? And so if you've done that 15, 50 times in a, in a sales cycle, the actual closing of getting a signature on a paper or purchase order, um, that should be a non-event, right? That should be, you know, not any more stressful or a big deal than all the other ones provided that you really had a, a, a sales process that you continually validated that they are a good fit and constantly given the, the customer an out and also given the customer information on, hey, here are the people that are a good fit. Here are the people that aren't a good fit. You know, can we work together um, and be, be super honest with each other? If you don't fit in this category of people that are really a great fit for us, Let's just be open and honest uh, with each other so that we don't waste your time, right? You know, we don't want to do, you know, professional meetings. You know, this is, you know, sure you become friends with customers. I get it, right? Um, but we're in business to, to, to make money. And so we want to focus on um, people who can actually be successful. I don't know if that answered your question. I'd love to hear, you know, some of your, yeah, your closings well, since you have some. Sure, we'll swap a few. I mean, look, you you've been listening. Ian Altman happens to be a good buddy of mine, so I know Ian real well, and uh, and he's a very talented guy. Um, but uh, you know, and Ian and I share a lot of uh, concepts together. We've known each other for years, uh, 
And I, I like the fact, and it's rare I hear this. So, you know, I want to pay a compliment to you that most people think, you know, that it's all about the close or maybe there's a trial close as an insurance salesman. My, I had a couple of trial closes. And if you said yes to any of them, I was filling out a medical form. Uh, you know, this I was moving forward. But when you start talking about 40 or 50 closes, you're in my camp. You're in Ian's camp, which says, oh, I'm just trying to measure where I am right now and figure out whether we, you know, whether it makes sense to continue to the next level of this conversation. But I'm not asking for your business. I might actually be asking you, do I have a good idea of your business? You know, and I'm all for open questions, but I like a good question to test information, confirm understanding. So most of my trials are closed. A couple of the big ones that I happen to love because I, I study decision cycles is I know the first decision a customer makes uh, is not to whine about an issue. They'll call up a salesperson and do plenty of whining. I want to know if they're actually committed to making a change. And um, and I can't walk in, shake your hand and ask that question. I have to earn that. And so that comes from studying the problem. That comes from really trying to understand, get a consensus that we understand this customer. We understand the depth of the issues. And now we just, and, and I say depth, because the deeper we go, the better chance we have at getting a yes to the answer. Yeah, I think it's worthwhile looking at some other ideas. But once we do, that just allows us to move forward. So I think what we're both saying, and I want this audience to hear, is don't be afraid to measure where you are. Take some temperature reads. A temperature read is not, you know, is Tuesday good or is Wednesday better? Uh, or what's going to take to get you in this vehicle today? A temperature read is, I feel like I've got a good sense of, of what you're looking for. Did I miss anything? Um, that's a trial close to me. So um, I mean, the first trial yeah. close might be as simple as, hey, based on what I've heard about you or the research that I've done, I think it makes sense for us to spend three to five minutes deciding whether or not it would be worth investing 30. Are you open to spending three to five minutes at the end? One or both of us could decide that 30 minutes is not a good investment of time. Does that make sense? I mean, literally, that's the first you know trial close. Yeah. You know, does, does three minutes make sense to decide if we should spend 30? Yeah, you're actually um, there's a model out there that enterprise uses for fleet sales, which I've always liked. I, I have nickname. It's like a sounds like a three two zone defense, but they, they'll go in very quickly cold. Say, I just want to do three things. One, I want to learn a little bit more about you. Two, I'm going to tell you a little bit about us. And three, if there are any unique challenges you might be having. I want to go a little bit deeper, but at the end, and it speaks to exactly what you said, Kurt, at the end, we're, one of two things are going to happen. You're going to find value in the conversation or you won't. If you don't, let me know. And we won't, I won't waste any more of your time. And if you do, then we'll sit and we'll figure out if it makes sense to continue today or find another time. And what I love about what you were saying and, 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 you know, trials like that is we're giving the client permission to say no um, and not keep pushing. Uh, we're more lethal when we do it that way. I think we sell better that way. You agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Uh, all right. Well, let's, let's, let's slide to the sales reps a little bit. We beat up closing. Oh, one last thing I got to tell you, just, it's just a jollicism, but you know, we're both fans of trial closing. I've always been a fan of a summary close. Which I hate the title of because I don't want people to go through to summarize. But I've always been a, a fan of a, a summary close because it has a trial close in the close. 
Meaning when you, when I say, Hey, Kurt, wouldn't you agree with what we've talked about in this podcast, you're getting everything you were look, you said you were looking for. Uh, that's actually, that's a mild summary, but that's actually a trial close. Cause I haven't asked you to buy anything from me yet, but what do you think's coming next? And, and I like if, a, you know, I don't want to get our egos involved. So I like flushing those objections out, um, a to see whether we're wasting our time, but B so I can at least try and manage the objection without saying, well, no, Kurt, that's not correct. <laughs> or, you know, you're going to have to see things my way. Not a good position for a salesperson to be in. But, you know, we could do a whole a whole talk on just trial closes, quite frankly. I, I'm almost I'm almost sorry we're leaving this area, but I got too many other things to talk to you about. But I wanted to, I wanted to whittle that one in if I could. All right, let's talk about reps. Um, you know, it, that first year is, um, is shaky for most people. Uh, what do you think? What, why do you think sales reps, uh, other than the obvious, there's a few less obvious reasons. Why do you think they struggle making quota in that first year? Yeah, I, I think a couple of things. Um, unfortunately, I don't think a lot of companies have a great system for making sure that these sales reps really understand the customer's problem, right? I mean, you yeah. hear in sales books or on podcasts, hey, you want to become your customer's trusted advisor. Well, that sounds wonderful, right? But but how do you do that, right? In, in order to be a, cust- a, a trusted advisor, you need to be an expert in the customer's uh, problems, right? And so, you know, you talked about life insurance. Maybe somebody's been selling life insurance for, for 30 years and they're an expert. But what about all those people that that, that are new uh, sales reps, right? You know, do they even really understand the personas? Uh, do they understand uh, their ideal customer profile? If they don't have a great understanding and, and, and they can't, um, you know, understand customer problems pretty well in the, in the first, say, 60 to 90 days, the chances of them becoming productive in their first year is very, very low, right? And, and so when I'm hiring an enterprise sales organization, you know, I, I pay these, these sales reps a lot of money. And so my board expects me to uh, have a return on investment in in six, nine, 12 months, which is really hard to do when enterprise sales cycles are anywhere between six months and two years, right? So you got to get these people productive and adding value in in the first 60 to 90 days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's go a little deeper into this, though. I'm, I'm, I'm not satisfied. I, yeah, I uh, <laughs> no, not it's not a matter of your answer. It's a matter of it's a, it's a puzzlement for everyone. There's millions and millions of dollars just being spent on various, not big fans of them, various uh, tests and you know, you know, models to just see whether somebody could be a good sales rep. So, what would you be looking for? Uh, you know, and and let's agree on one thing. They don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I'm not saying I'm looking for people who aren't intelligent. I'm just saying you don't have to bowl me over with your knowledge quite yet. Okay. Uh, once we get into when once we get somebody a little seasoned, everybody's going to be smart. So you'll get looking to hire. Characteristically, what are you looking for? I mean, I would say curiosity is probably oh. the number one thing. Yeah. Right. I, I need yeah. somebody who can ask good questions who learns quickly, 
um, you know, empathy, right? The, the ability to understand and, and, and deal with different types of people. Um, you know, a whole host of qualities. And I know that there are batteries and things that you can purchase to, to try to measure um, the, these, these qualities. Um, I, I'm typically hiring pretty seasoned people. So, you know, I also look at track record. How many years have you exceeded your quota? How many years have you, have you been to, been, been the club, but I'm, I'm typically trying to, to, to drill in, you know, on, on those, uh, on those attributes. I mean, the other one, I think the, the big one is, um, what do you do, uh, in the face of adversity? That, that happens to all sales reps and, you know, ultimately you will eventually be successful in sales if you don't give up. Right. Um, but most people either give up or reduce effort when bad things are happening. You know, the economy gets bad, you get rejected, you know, three of your four deals get delayed. Um, you know, I like to understand like, well, what's, what's the sales reps plan, right? You know, when, when Mike Tyson says, Hey, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Right. Well, what's your plan when you get punched in the mouth? Uh, man, I'm going to tell you something. You just knocked it out of the park. Uh, I was actually on a panel, a virtual panel in Europe about a year ago. And the question, that same question was asked. And I went last. And quite frankly, there was a couple other people. They took some good answers. But but still, I was hearing, well, you know, they got to really know their features and benefits. Well, they got to really be, you know, um, have a long experience in that specific industry. And I was coming right from where you were. I, I, I used the phrase. I said, I want to know if they can take a punch. Exactly pretty much what you just said. I, I You know, uh, you get knocked down a lot in sales. And that's, I mean, where's that one on the test? You know what I mean? How do you determine that one? So you, you I like where you're coming from. You're coming in the side. You're going, well, Rob, I'm looking for track record. That'll tell me whether we, you know, whether we were one and done. But it really is that ability to to, to dust yourself off and put one foot in front of the, the other because, you know, those who don't sell look at our industry and they'll go, you know, look at those guys. You know, they got golf clubs in the back trunk, you know. Are they even working? Yeah, they're working. Some days are much harder than other days, but I like that. I, I think it's really, uh, I feel like I can teach you almost anything, but I but getting up when, you know, does, what was it, Unforgiven? Deserving's got nothing to do with it. That's <laughs> Clint Eastwood was standing over Gene Ackman. Um, deserving's got nothing to do with it. Yeah, you deserved it. Didn't happen. You know, uh, maybe that's a good argument for people to listen to us earlier and go, why don't you listen to Curtin, who's 50 trial closes? Uh, and, it, you know, yeah. Yeah, Robbie, if you don't mind, I'll share two things that haven't worked very well that I've okay. heard other sales leaders say that they're trying for even. You know, when I've been early in my career and, you know, I have a boss or boss's boss say, well, this was what you should be looking for. You know, I've heard people say, oh, you should, you should hire somebody that already knows all the customers, right? Has, has, has great relationships. And then you already mentioned, you know, hire somebody that, that knows the industry. That's the only thing that they've done, right? Well, when you put those together with the other attributes, you're usually talking about a unicorn that doesn't exist. And if you focus on those two attributes, you typically um, ignore the other ones that we talked about that are way more important than those two. And you're disappointed and you find out, hey, this guy that's been selling in the industry for 20 years doesn't really know the industry that well. And these people that he says he knows doesn't seem to like them. And then, okay, now what do we do? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and actually, that's I, while you were talking about track record, that always worried me because I remember when I worked for Xerox, uh, we had some reps. We put up some really big numbers. They were selling in New York, you know, in Ma Manhattan. They were selling Beverly Hills. I met the guy who sold in Mississippi. And uh, it was we was about the best sales rep I ever met in my life. His numbers were really good, but they were phenomenal for where he was selling. And um, so a lot of times it's geographic. Heck, sell for Xerox in the 80s or the 70s. And yeah. patents, you want a copy or no? Okay, and you don't get one. <laughs> How's that for a sales process? Uh, not that I'm knocking Xerox. They have amazing sales process, but they had to wake up and create some because it's nice when you only when you're the only show in town. Uh, most of us aren't in industries where we're the only show in town. Um, and if we are, that ain't going to last long. So um, anyway, that but it's kind of cool. Um, you know, that's to me, that's it. It's, it's about the pipeline. Uh, it's crucial. I'm not sure everybody understands when we say pipeline. So let's talk about the pipeline for a second. Um, well, first of all, what's your definition of whether me get up on my soapbox Tell everybody what a, a sales pipeline is. And I'm, I'm, I know you know. Yeah, what I mean, uh, for, for maybe people who aren't in sales, I, I would relate sales pipeline to sales funnel. Right. And and maybe that starts at the at the top. You have a marketing organization. Maybe they bring in marketing qualified leads for you um, if you're lucky. Right. If you're not lucky, then, uh, you know, sales is responsible for generating their their leads, right? And, and so, you know, that usually comes down to territory planning, territory management, um, you know, ranking that territory, A, Bs, and Cs, finding personas, getting to those personas, and then, you know, eventually qualifying so that you get to the start of a sales pipeline, which to me is a sales qualified lead, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, at Serbi, you know, we have three criteria for uh, that organization being a sales qualified lead. And, you know, we have criteria as you go down the pipeline, right, from next step of uh, being qualified uh, with a demo, uh, typically going through a POC, and then, you know, understanding and managing a procurement process, and then, you know, the deal being closed close one but it, it you know pipeline typically starts for a salesperson with a sales qualified lead that they've met some criteria that they're even worth putting in the crm um you know i'm not a big fan of just sticking opportunities in crm because you know i don't know i'd love to sell the you know uh peloton right so i put their name in there and i put a number but never talked to peloton right i've seen that in sales organizations that's not a pipeline to me that's a pipe dream <laughs> you used that line before did you just come up with it that's a good one actually i think i came up with that one on the fly believe it or not good job good job well let me push you on the fly a little bit uh i was i was gonna break in but you were on a roll uh i like that uh, how we how we take you know it's it's a uh, in a sense let's see it's a prospect is qualified pro oh it's a suspect a suspect and this is my definition somebody that's walking up uh, you know down the sidewalk outside my house right now OK, um, a prospect has some known potential and you were sort of nibbling at that. Do you have a, 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 I think it just basically with your Peloton example said, um, do I have a realistic opportunity of getting this business? I, yeah, I want to sell Apple, too. Uh, 
do I have a realist? Do I really have a realistic shot of that? Do you have any other criteria you put in there to get that to to define, take it from suspect and make it to a prospect? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would say I mentioned the term ideal customer profile. Um, so some of the methodologies that I implement in our reference selling model is to build that ideal customer profile, to understand that ideal customer profile, and then figure out as much as you can from publicly available data, is that organization likely to have the same problems as other successful customers uh, that we have, right? So it could be industry-specific. It could be, hey, they sell to consumers. We do well with people who sell to consumers. It could be we know that they use social media and that they have a, um, you know, mobile-based app, right? You know, those are attributes that we can find out uh, publicly. Maybe, you know, revenue, sales growth, uh, acquisition, you know, there could be various types of attributes that could be publicly available that might make you say in that first conversation, back to what we said before, you know, hey, Peloton, you know, I did a research on you and and these five things are true. Um, All that tells me is it's worth a, a three to five minute conversation to figure out if, you know, you have these three main problems that we solve for for other customers. And at the end, we can decide, hey, it's worth 30 more minutes or, you know, the publicly available data, you know, doesn't line up and and you guys don't really have these problems, you wouldn't be a good fit. Right. You know, um, I I wrote a piece one time. I said, if if a model spells a word or rhymes with something, I don't like it. However, I will tell you a very simple model I learned at Xerox and I'm not so sure Xerox wrote it. It might have been Rackham who wrote it. I'm not sure. But it was called the now model. And it's and it's and, you know, there's so much more to it. But just from from the top needs, order, worth now. That's how I remember it. Um, do they have a need? Does Peloton have a need? Yeah, maybe their sales aren't quite what they want to be. OK, good. Um, do I have a realistic shot of getting this order? Oops, maybe not. Oh, wait a minute. I've got a really good network contact way up within within Peloton. Okay, we got two. Is this worth my time? And quite frankly, if I did have a, 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 a process, you know, a, somebody helping me up top on that network, it would be worth my time. But when you just, there's so much more to it, and I hate to simplify it that much. Uh, and I'd love to say that's my model. <laughs> it isn't. But I've always used that. And to me, it's helped me a little bit of, of stopping my competitive juices from wanting to sell anything that's moving and really look at it and figure out hmm, needs order worth. Anyway, that for what it's worth, that's a, that's a model that I've always kicked around. Kurt is nodding at me right now. He's, he's, he's nodding. I'm yes. Nodding. I agree, Rob. <laughs> Nobody can see that. So I guess I, I, say I, I, I thought I'd narrate your nod if that's okay. He's nodding. He's nodding big time. Oh, he loves that. I, you know, the last thing I'll we'll leave the pipeline, but I've always, you know, from a sales perspective, I've always felt that I uh, I actually take punches pretty well. When I don't, I when I don't sell them all. I don't know if you sell them all. I don't sell them all, uh, but I'd like to think I sell a higher percentage of them all. I don't get all that disappointed when I don't sell, assuming I put everything into it. I tell you, when I get a little bit antsy, when my pipeline isn't full. When I don't, you know, it's easy to say, all right, let's scrub up and get the next one. 
But when that pipeline is anemic, when that pipeline is weak, it will. I'm a pretty grizzled vet here. It will shake the core of a grizzled vet. So for those who are listening, we spent a moment or two on, on, on pipelines, spent it there because you build a good pipeline. Um, I want you to be wonderful salespeople, but you build a good pipeline. You can make some mistakes and still survive. Got to have that pipeline. Don't lose focus of the pipeline. Very important uh, for the head and the heart. Me. I agree. Okay. It's Kurt's agreeing and saying so. All right. Uh, all right. Let's let let's let's jump to your to your flywheel, as we say. You've got this reference sale selling model, and congratulations, because I, I really I love talking to people that take it past. Well, I get in front of groups and I motivate and inspire them. <laughs> Good for you. Um, but once I see a sales model, I went online, I took a peek at your sales model. Uh, it impresses me. So uh, talk to me a little bit about it, and let's talk about um, just starting that wheel that that reference model because we don't do that the rest of the model doesn't work give, give, can, can i tell can i tell you a story rob uh would you be that's why you're that? here man All it's right. story me, time let, I'm, let, I'm ready let me tell you a story right because um you know this didn't uh come down from my, on a high right it, it came it, you know came down from lots of experience lots of repetitions as they say and what really got me thinking about it um, was I worked at this company NetApp. Um, it was a really great place to learn, to, to learn and great products, great customers. So I, I enjoyed it. Um, but we had, a, we had a customer reference team and I got to be pretty good friends with them. And they actually started sharing some statistics with me that, hey, your team has more case studies than any anybody else. And I, I can't remember, I actually had written down the statistics and I have a blog on my website that I think I, I wrote down what the statistics was, but, you know, it was ignore inordinately higher, like 10 or 20 X compared to other districts, how many case studies uh, we had. Um, we also had uh, really great numbers, right? In fact, uh, that year, um, I actually had the privilege of every one of my sales reps going to club. Uh, now that, that doesn't happen uh, very often when when you have a really competitive environment. And, and it was that question from the customer reference team that they were just asking me, hey, you know, why do you have all these case studies? You know, what's making your team successful? How do we bring that to the rest of the sales force that, that got me thinking uh, about that, that model? So, you know, there were a lot of things that we were doing, but initially when I was asked the question, I couldn't articulate it. And, I, you know, I couldn't teach it to somebody quickly. You know, it was something that I probably took six months or a year to teach my reps. And I wanted to find a way, how do I turn this into a model that I can teach to somebody in the first 30 or 60 days? So that was kind of the, the genesis of um, what I call the, the, the reference selling model. And it eventually got um, rolled into the new hire training uh, at, at NetApp. So I wanted to share the story how I kind of came up with the idea. Oh, it didn't uh, it didn't fall off a tree and uh, smack you in the head? No, uh, I did not get golden tablets that they were they were dropped. No, it's funny how uh, it's the same with books. It usually does find us. We don't find it. Uh, so, you know, and I, I appreciate that because rarely do I meet uh, somebody who's built a model and working with, with a process who says, Oh, I don't know. I'll just kind of drive around and figure what the heck. Um, usually there's this, 
there's something, there's a burn in the belly, as we say. So it doesn't surprise me. Uh, hey, you, you mentioned your website. Tell everybody your website. So we, we, we'll, we'll, in a minute, we'll, we'll repeat it again. But what's that website so they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So it's my first and last name. My first name is spelled K-U-R-T. Last name is Greening, the color green, and then you add I-N-G to it. So www.kurtgreening.com will find it. And uh, this particular blog that talks about the uh, the model is it's called the reference uh, selling model. You can find it by searching the website or you can find it via Google, either one. Good, good. And uh, and when, when we go off the air here, uh, you'll give it to me and I'll put it on our landing page here. So if you're listening, you can jump on the landing page and, and see it there as well. Um, okay, makes sense. Uh, all right, let's 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 shift from the world of Kurt to to a little bit further away to maybe any mentors or somebody that inspired you in sales. And don't bring up Ian again because I'm very jealous you brought up Ian and you bring up Rob Jollis. But what the heck? You forgot what show you were on. It happens. Don't you worry. Can I bring up anybody laughing out there? Because you should be. Go ahead. How many mentors do I get to bring up, Rob? Who? And and I and you can't bring me up because we just met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, so uh, if you ask about mentors, I'll, I'll, I'll give you three. So uh, I already mentioned Ian, but I, I found Ian um, through Marcus Sheridan. So I would call Marcus Sheridan the um, the marketing version of Ian. Um, and Marcus is really big on content marketing. But the biggest thing that I learned from Marcus in marketing that was so counterintuitive was around actually telling the customer, telling your customers what you're not good at, right? So, uh, you know, give them a way to self-qualify, make sure that they understand the type of customers that are successful with your products, and then make sure that they understand the customers that aren't. So Marcus Sheridan is one. Um, the other one I'll have to, the other two I'll mention are both people I worked with at, at, at NetApp. Um, Tom Mendoza, was our head of sales, eventually became president and vice chairman of the board. Tons of leadership uh, lessons. Um, you know, I learned things from him like, you know, recognition, catch somebody from doing something right. Um, if, if, if you don't follow him, I recommend, I think his uh, Twitter might be Tom Talks. Um, I would recommend anybody in sales uh, follow Tom Mendoza, search some of his uh, culture and leadership. And then third, third mentor, uh, another person I worked for at NetApp was eventually head of the Americas, Eric Mann. And uh, he just taught me a lot about leadership, uh, a lot about the psyche of sales reps and how to motivate them and um, how to get them uh, excited about working for you as a sales leader. So those are three that come to mind. Rob. Okay. All right. You, you didn't you didn't shortchange us with those three. Good job. Uh, last question: If you could go back twenty years uh, and tap a you know tap yourself on the shoulder, whisper one thing into your ear, and and let's make it a, a, a you know a sales thought, what okay. would you tell yourself twenty years ago to keep an eye on uh, that you'd probably still be watching to this day? You know, I, I think a, a, an older me realizes that um, you need a plan to manage stress as a salesperson. And, uh, you know, I never thought that I would say that things like meditation are actually helpful for a salesperson. You know, a younger me would have said, hey, you know, what you need is to ram your head through that wall harder. 
Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, repetition, effort, all of those things are, are, are important. Um, but I think it's important as a sales professional and just as a, you know, professional or a human being uh, to get yourself in a good uh, state where you can serve your customers well, you can serve your coworkers well, serve your family well. So I, I think, you know, mental health and, and for, for me most recently, uh, meditation has been uh, been part of that. I'm a, I'm a person of faith, so my meditation is of a religious sort. So I know other people's meditation um, may not be religious, but in my case, it happens to be. Okay, good. Well, a mantra is a mantra, uh, be it religious or not, calms the mind. Um, I'm, I'm, when I ever ask a question, I start thinking about like, how would you answer it, Rob? Uh, I'm not that far off from you. I, I, I was, you know, I'm a Maryland grad. I went to school when Lefty Grizel was coaching. And across on the other bench was Dean Smith. And I was, yeah, so I'm not a big North Carolina fan, but I love the quote of Dean Smith, which said, you can't approach every game uh, as life and death. To begin with, you'll be dead a lot. And um, I think that I'd probably be similar to you. My competitive nature is what made me successful. And at the same time, it, it could have harmed me a lot worse than it did. Thank goodness I had some good managers and some good people managing me and a wonderful wife because um, that competition is a double-edged sword and it can get to you a little bit. And um, so I've, I've always sort of processed and sort of dropped back. Coaching kids, by the way, helped me with this too. When I played, I was a fierce competitor as a point guard. When I coached kids, I was a fierce competitor for the first two games. And then I realized you're just kind of a fierce idiot. Uh, you have to calm down. And I listened. Do you remember a basketball player named Kevin Greavy? I'm just throwing it out from the side. I don't know if you ever heard I'm of him. I'm not a uh, deep basketball fan, but I do recognize that name. Yeah. yeah. Played for Kentucky and then met the Washington Bullets slash Wizards. I went to a, a, a something that he delivered, a, a workshop. And it was amazing. Somebody asked him his best coach and he said, oh, uh, he, he, he named uh, this guy. And he said, the guy never, never told him go out and win. Uh, and he said, we'd say that to the press. Go out and execute. Let's do what we've been working on. Let's let's execute our plan. Let's play our game. Let's do what we've been taught to do. And if we do that and do it to the best of our ability, we'll win a whole lot more than we'll lose. But that's all controllable. And so I think that you tapping a younger you is is probably delivering that message of go give it everything you got. But when you have, don't beat yourself up. Um, and um, anyway, I think that's a, a good message. We're both trying to deliver, but, but you, you got the lead on that one. I, I like it. Uh, how do people get a hold of you? You personally, I know they get to their website. Can they email you or just find you at the website? Yeah. I mean, uh, my website does have a contact me form. Okay. Uh, but I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, so I generally uh, try to accept people's invites um, if I think that they're going to be kind. Right. I'm, and I'm not a big fan of the uh, connect and pitch. Uh, you know, I don't 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 need a lot of life insurance. I, I think I'm good in those areas. But if um, somebody's wanting to connect to, to, to learn or, you know, maybe to, to, to share insights, I'm always looking for people that, you know, might learn from me. And I might learn from them. Maybe somebody in my network um, can help. So yeah, I mean, any of those type of people that want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, I, you know, I love helping people. I love mentoring people. You know, I might not be able to do an hour call with everybody, um, but if I can, 
you know, point people to a book that's really helped me or provide an encouraging note. Um, I, I enjoy that opportunity. And, you know, LinkedIn is usually an easy way to, to connect with new people in that way. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm the same way. I rarely turn people down, but it does irritate me. And and folks, you're listening to the two sales guys talking about selling. So uh, we're, we're fine with you selling, but but that that LinkedIn, you know, quick sale through that uh, bounced email, it, it's uh, not making you a whole lot of friends, at least not from me either. So, um, but um, okay, we'll look yeah, you up. Surprised. I think you know, as a as a head of sales for a, a growing startup that's you know raised venture funding. The amount of, hey, you know, can you tell me about your the three problems that are keeping you up at night? Like, man, if I told everybody about the three problems that kept me up at night, I'd never do my job. <laughs> I, I don't I don't have time to share those with every you know every SDR that's out there. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. No, I, you know, I, that's kind of almost like you know selling through a message or you know a message you're leaving on somebody's cell phone or trying to sell something through an email. Um, listen, the numbers just aren't good for that. that that's it, it almost bruises the reputation of selling when we do that. So let's let's listen to some of the things that we talked about today and and earn that trust and do some trial closes and just walk alongside that customer, try and follow their decision cycle. Anyway, Kurt, it has been um, a pleasure getting to know you. Uh, loved batting it around in sales. I, I have a little sign on my desk that says, don't talk so much. But I was sort of putting my hand over because this topic was too juicy. So I hope I didn't talk too much, but I really enjoyed listening to you and learning from me. And I'm grateful you were on the show. Yeah. Uh, thank you for giving me the invite. Um, you know, I hope I shared some things that will help your uh, listeners learn. And um, I got the double benefit of uh, learning some new ideas from you. So we're, uh, I think we're both better and uh, if your listeners are better than uh, this was a good use of 45 minutes for us. You bet. All right, man. Well, thank you. And listen, we'll do it again as well as we can next time, everybody. Until then, stay safe. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Outcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more information on this show and Rob at Jollis.com. <laughs>